from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Cool things on the walls and uh, really mm-hmm. family-friendly place. We used to kind of run around the, uh, the barn afterwards. Um, it had whole strawberries. It had cut up bananas. It had a rum sauce. It had gold brick chocolate on it and was all smothered in mountains of, of Keefley Dairy whipped cream. They didn't open until 5 or 6 in the evening, but they stayed open till 3 in the morning. Not only do I put put the history, but I'm, I'm able to find old photographs. I'm able to, I've, I've got a huge menu collection and I put the full menus online. So I'll get emails from, from grandchildren that, that, you know, thank you, thank you. I, I didn't know this about the restaurant and I, these are photographs I've never seen before. I'm Sarah Fenske. Dr. Harley Hammerman knows that the classic St. Louis question is about high school. But he likes to ask a different question. What restaurant do you miss the most? The St. Louis radiologist has two blogs. They're called Lost Tables and Lost Dishes. Both were inspired by his journey into the local restaurants he loved and lamented. And he joins us now to talk about this side project and some of the restaurants that inspired it. So Dr. Harley Hammerman, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I love talking about lost restaurants. Lost restaurants. It's a great topic. And this project has really taken off. But something that I was so fascinated by is it actually all goes back to your love of the playwright, Eugene O'Neill. So I have to ask, first, what got you interested in him? So that was a 10th grade high school teacher. Her name was Wanda Bowers. And we read the play, The Emperor Jones, in her class. And she beat on the desk. She beat the tom-tom. And I was hooked. And then I got a first edition of the play Our Wilderness at the St. Louis Book Fair and started this collection of first editions and manuscripts. And it became the largest uh, collection of O'Neill materials in the world or in the country outside of Yale. And uh, recently, uh, a number of years ago, sold it to Washington University. But part of the project was a website. Uh, My kids sort of gave me a domain name, eoneill.com. And I was able to share the collection uh, on that website, and it gave me the ability to, to, to write and research and sort of, I like that. Yeah. And once I sold the website, I didn't have anything else to do. So that sort of led into Lost Tables. And so when you were archiving all this material about Eugene O'Neill, was there a big audience for that? Uh, surprisingly not. It's interesting. Uh, people like talking about restaurants a whole lot more than they like talking about Eugene O'Neill. <laughs> most, most people didn't even know Eugene, who Eugene O'Neill was. Okay, that's heartbreaking because, I mean, the man is a master. I, I feel that we should give him that. Yeah, but, you know, they don't even get to his place in high school anymore. My kids, they run out of time and they wouldn't read his place. Wow. Okay, so you've just broken my heart. And now mm-hmm. you're going to break it all over again uh-huh. because we're going to talk about some of these lost St. Louis restaurants. So you, you sold that archive. Um, and that's amazing, something you started in high school, ends up acquired by mm-hmm. You, and then you thought I want to keep going with the blogging. That was the thinking. That was part of it. Actually, it started out. I started researching a, a restaurant from my childhood called Golden Fried Chicken Loaf. It was a fried chicken restaurant. It was on Delmore, just uh, west of Devolver. And I used to go there with my mother and my grandmother and my siblings on Friday nights when my father worked. My father and I would go pick up uh, chicken and dumpling soup and pies on Sundays to take home. And so I started researching that and did a lot of research and actually got the domain name goldenfriedchickenloaf.com, like who would ever put that in, Yeah. Uh, and, and had a website up. 
And then I figured out, hmm, there's only so far this can go. Yeah, that's not like the life of Eugene O'Neill. No, like you're no. going to hit a wall with that collection. I, I did quickly. So uh, I decided, well, maybe I'll write about other restaurants from my youth. And it just sort of blossomed from there. And I came up, had to come up with a, a, a title. So I, I, I think I considered Vanishing Tables at one point, but ended up with Lost Tables. It's a great title. Uh, I mean, it just sort of instantly evokes uh, this this vanished world. Right. And you've ended up developing a huge following for this. I mean, it's not just that you're kind of, you know, blogging away in the cliche of the blogger. You also have like a really big following on Facebook for this. Is that something that, that you've been real strategic about trying to do? Well, as I was writing these these articles, I figured, who's going to read them? How is anybody going to know to read them? So I decided maybe a Facebook group would be a good way to publicize them. So that was that was the reason I started the Facebook group. But the Facebook group sort of took on a life of its own. Uh, people just love talking about old restaurants, and oh, lots of people on the on the Facebook group have no idea there's a website as much as I try to pu- publicize it. And those that do, a lot of them don't want to read the articles. You know, they just want to talk about restaurants. So, so they're just there posting about what's on their mind. Absolutely. And that's that's great. But does it also drive a lot of traffic to the reports you're doing? It does. It does drive a lot of traffic. So a lot of it comes from there. And I can see I'll, I'll announce a new article that I've written and, and you see that the, the hits on the website jump up. That's that's great. And these articles, I should mention, I feel like there's a lot of people who have some nostalgia um, for old restaurants and they might say, oh, I remember eating this or that. This is not what you're doing here. You're really doing original research and going back to original sources. I do. I, I, I go back to the newspaper archives. Uh, I use Ancestry. I use primary sources when I can. And it's amazing what you find out about a restaurant that's different than what's sort of been in the newspaper paper articles over the years. Uh, a lot of the journalists, you know, didn't have the resources that I have. So they would use the article that came before them five years or 10 years ago. So they would sort of carry forward uh, misconceptions, shall we say. So you're correcting some misinformation while you're at it. I am, quite a bit. Give us an example. Oh, so there, probably the best example, there was a, a restaurant called Tutenberg. Actually, it was a series of, of coffee shops throughout downtown. Anybody that ate downtown probably ate at a, a Tutenberg's for breakfast or for lunch at one point or another. And uh, their tagline was, since 1812, there were five generations of Tutenbergs, and they said that their patriarch, Franz Tutenberg, uh, started the first Tutenbergs in 1812 uh, downtown at uh, 2nd and Walnut. Uh, and I mean, it, it blossomed. They, 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 the St. Louis Chamber of Commerce uh, in 1962 gave them an award for their 150th year. Um, they said that uh, Lewis and Clark ate at the restaurant in 1812. Uh, Meriwether Lewis died in 1809, but that's not a big deal. Just a small detail. Yeah. So it turns out that when you when you do the research, Franz Franz Tutenberg uh, was born in Russia in uh, I'm sorry in Prussia in 1813. A oh, year wow. So after. he could not have opened uh, this he, restaurant and, in 1812 St. No, Louis. And he didn't immigrate to, the, to this country until, uh, oh, the mid-1830s. So the restaurant probably opened up sometime in the mid-1830s or 1840, and it was at 3rd and Olive, not at 2nd and Walnut, but... Uh, that's not what you find in the literature. So I love that you're setting this record straight, and even it sounds like the the business itself had some false information. I'm sure it came from honest intentions. You just, these stories get twisted. Absolutely. I mean, it just was word of mouth 
you know, throughout the years, uh, and and that's what their father told them, and that's what his father told them, and so they just carried it forward. But the thing that I sometimes find in St. Louis, and I suppose this is true anywhere, is that um, sometimes people can't handle the truth. They get really upset. They want to believe what they've always been told. Was there a backlash? Uh, Not exactly, but when I tried to talk to a current in Teutonburg, she didn't want to talk about it. Uh, And there have been some others. There was the the mother-in-law house in St. Charles, uh, the story was that it, uh, this this guy built it for his wife's mother and built sort of a two-part house so she could live in one and he could live in another. Well, that didn't happen either. But, uh, you know, people want to think that happens because that adds to the mystique. Yeah, people want to print the legend. Right. And meanwhile, you're finding out the truth. Yeah. I love it. Well, boy, what an interesting journey you've been on. And this is just, these are two great blogs. There's both Lost Tables and Lost Dishes. And if you're listening to this conversation, uh, we want to know what's the lost St. Louis restaurant or dish that you miss the most. You can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Uh, we heard from so so many people who have various places they've missed, dishes they've missed. In some cases, they miss old iterations of things. The restaurant continues, but they miss the location that used to be. Um, in other cases, it, it's a very specific dish. And you really went deep down that road as well. Yeah, I, in terms of the, the lost dishes, that, that sort of evolved. You know, people started talking about the various uh, dishes that they miss. And I had access to them because a lot of them were published in in the St. Louis Post and St. Louis Globe, Ar- Globe archives. So I initially started pulling those out, and then there, there are a lot of other places that you can find them. So I decided I'd put them all in one place. So I, I put those on Lost Dishes. It was easy enough to get the recipes. Uh, but, you know, a recipe website isn't fun without photos. Uh, and I didn't have photos of most of them. I talked my wife into making some of them. Uh, you actually got her to make the dish so you could photograph it. Yeah, not too many. That, I was <laughs> going to say, that's a good partner right yeah. there. So most of them, I would just find photos online. You know, Google Photos, uh, you know, Google Images is nice. And I would find photos that, hmm, I think it looks like this. Uh, occasionally, there'd be mm, parsley. There's no parsley. So I'd use Photoshop to Photoshop out the parsley. So... You know, well, I, I am I am meticulous with lost tables. I will not put anything in there that I know is an absolutely hundred percent factual. Lost dishes, the recipes are accurate, the photos are not. <laughs> Interesting. And you are kind of just finding these photos wherever you can. That hasn't gotten you in any hot water. Uh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good. I hope we're not going to jinx that today. So here are some of the things that that people have talked about here. Uh, Jennifer writes on Facebook how much she misses Chez Leon, uh, Poulet, all truffles, Hall's Ferry Inn, fried shrooms. Gregory writes on Twitter, my answer will always be Casa Gallardo. Now, this is a story that you got into in Lost Tables. What an amazing story. Yeah, Casa Gallardo is is a fantastic story. And actually, that was one where where, uh, the the Gallardos are still around. And, and they helped me with that. So they gave me a lot of the information. And so it, you're actually it, out there doing some reporting. Yeah, I do. When, but, you know, I mean, when, when they're around, you know, a yeah. lot of them aren't around anymore. But they were, and they were very gracious in helping me tell their story. So uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. So I have to ask, I mean, you're a radiologist. Like, this is very much a side project. When you contact people, are they wondering, are you a journalist? Are you a food blogger? People must be very surprised to learn you're a physician. Uh, Sometimes, yeah. But, uh, you know, I usually downplay that. I don't don't usually tell them I am. (laughs) You don't lead with, I'm a doctor and I'm here to ask you some questions. Not really, no. (laughs) You just pose as a humble food blogger. A humble food blogger. And that people answer the phone. They do. And, And, you know, they're interested in telling the story. 
Yeah. I imagine that for some of the families involved in these restaurants, they have as much nostalgia for these places as you do. Actually, a lot of the families don't know as much as I end up knowing. And I've gotten, uh, not only do I put put the history, but I'm, I'm able to find old photographs. I'm able to, I've, I've got a huge menu collection and I put the full menus online. So I'll get emails from, from grandchildren that that, you know, thank you, thank you. I, I didn't know this about the restaurant, and I th- these are photographs I've never seen before, and that's that's one of the most rewarding parts of doing this. That's great to get that reaction mm-hmm. from the families. Yeah. Do you find that this is also something where you know when people are reading this work that they have a response of this is a place I used to go? Yeah, absolutely, and and I really think it's, it's obviously some of it's the food we miss, but it, it, it's 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 more about. I think family. It's about you went there with your parents, you went there with your girlfriend, you went there with your wife. You know, it's 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 those memories that these restaurants evoke more more so, or at least as much as the food. We're talking today to Dr. Harley Hammerman. He has two blogs, Lost Tables and Lost Dishes. They both pay tribute to shuttered restaurants of St. Louis. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation and hear about some of your favorites that have been lost to time. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. Our guest today is Dr. Harley Hammerman, and we're discussing his two blogs, Lost Dishes and Lost Tables. Both explore St. Louis restaurants that are gone but not forgotten. Lost Dishes digs into the recipes that formed those restaurants' most indelible memories. These two blogs just have a great readership, and it's easy to see why it's such well-researched pieces and and also well-told. So we've invited you into the conversation to share your memories. We have heard from so many of you. I'm going to go to the phone lines. Uh, Mark is calling from St. Louis. Uh, Hi, Mark. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, uh, I remember this uh, one restaurant out in uh, Chesterfield called uh, Sam Wilson's. Um, it was a very family-friendly restaurant um, in a place, I think it's still there, called the Barn at Lucerne. And I remember it being this kind of this towering indoor structure with all these cool things on the walls and a uh, really mm-hmm. family-friendly place. We used to kind of run around the, uh, the barn afterwards. Um, I just have very fond memories of that place. I don't know if anybody else remembers it. And Mark, were you going there then as a kid? That's why you were doing that running yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, I was probably maybe five to ten, um, and we'd go there. I remember going there on the weekends, um, and it was always very crowded. Um, and I believe that the dairy—it's this beautiful old dairy. It's still there. It's in—it's on near Clarkson Road out in Chesterfield. Hmm. A beautiful place, um, but. Uh, that has, like, very fond memories for me. Well, Mark, thank you so much for sharing that memory. Dr. Hammerman, this is one on your radar. It, it is. So Mark's description was spot on. That's exactly what it was like there. And actually, it was there was an organization called Gilbert Robinson out of Kansas City, and that was one of their restaurants. It was actually a chain. Uh, they did the Leather Bottle in Clayton, and they also did another restaurant called Annie Santa Fe. And they were all, you know, chains. Uh, but they didn't seem like chains, hmm. uh, and they were all really wonderful restaurants. Hmm. Well, that's too bad that one is gone. It was great to hear Mark's memories of that. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Drew is calling from Baldwin. Uh, hi, Drew. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Well, hi, Dr. Hammerman. Uh, I knew and worked with your father, and he and I would often uh, enjoy a lunch at the old Cardwell's in Clayton right there uh, 
corner of Forsyth. Boy, and that was a great restaurant. Mm-hmm. Dr. Hammerman, do you know who Drew is? Or uh, I'm not sure. I might know who Drew is. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people knew my father. Did you enjoy, uh, or your father enjoyed these restaurants at, at Cardwell's? My father enjoyed Cardwell's. He enjoyed the one in Clayton. He enjoyed the one um, out on uh, Lindbergh. He, he had his table in the corner that he would go and sit there. And uh, Cardwell's is, I can't tell you how many times where my wife and I would say, let's go to Cardwell's, you know, when we just wanted to grab a quick bite on a weeknight, and we can't do that anymore. Yeah. But Bill, Bill Cardwell was fantastic. In fact, when the restaurant closed, he had a big sign that was in the in the mall entrance, uh, and he gave that to me. So I've got that at home as part of my, my memorabilia collection. Wow. And yeah. did he give this to you because he was a fan of the blog? Yes, yes. That's great. And so do you have the sense that, that current chefs and people who aren't even thinking about closing places, they're reading your work? Yeah, but I don't think they want to think about that because they don't want to think about being a lost table. <laughs> You're kind of the Grim Reaper, like <laughs> lurking. Exactly. <laughs> well, Drew, thank you for sharing that reminiscence. We also got um, an email from Tom in University City. He says, I miss Cicero's in the Loop. It was a friendly Italian, na- uh, friendly neighborhood Italian restaurant that had good food at moderate prices. I ate there despite a 1% sales tax for the blankety-blank Loop trolley. There has been nothing <laughs> to replace it. I know a lot of food lovers feel that way about the Loop trolley, driving away some of their favorite places. But Cicero, this was such a touchstone uh, for so many Loop people. It was a, it, it, actually two locations. There was one that was initially further east, and it started out as a more of a music venue than it did a restaurant. And they would bring in all kinds of, of great bands. And then they moved and expanded their space uh, a little bit further west. And uh, we'd go all the time for pizzas, and it was great. And, so I, I do not, I have not recently read your piece about Cicero, so I'm sort of going off memory on this. But I remember this was one where there had sort of been a, a family in charge and then someone ended up passing away. And, and do I have like the bones of the story right? Yeah. I mean, basically the, the fellow that started it, his, his kids didn't want to take it over after he passed away. So sort of that, that was a story. Is that a story that, that frequently ends up being the case? You know, it, it's, it works both ways. There's sometimes where there are families that, that you know, the, the, the children are in it and they take it over and their children are in it and they take it over. And then there are others where their children want no part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad to think of, I don't know. I mean, it's hard. You, you shouldn't take over something you're not feeling, but it's hard to see these places yeah. close for that. So I want to go back, since we're talking about Del Mar anyway, uh, where the Cicero's is that I was familiar with at, at the point that that one closed. Um, going back to Golden Fried Chicken Loaf, this is the restaurant that got you into this. And I feel like most people don't even know what a Golden Fried Chicken Loaf is. So what were they serving at this so place? So the reason it was called Golden Fried Chicken Loaf was that there were two big, long a long French bread, which they cut in half, and they put a whole fried chicken in the middle of the French bread. Just that's how it was presented. I truly didn't pay any attention to the French bread when I was going there. I just was interested in the fried chicken. It was the most wonderful fried chicken, or at least I remember it being the most wonderful fried chicken. It, it, it and was, what made it so good? It was the spice, mm-hmm. the spice and the crust. It was started by a, a woman. Her name was her name was Mina Wolf. Uh, and then she became Mina Bratton, and then she became Mina Evans. Uh, her mother was named Mina, her daughter was named Mina, and her granddaughter was named Mina. And her granddaughter is actually, her name is Mina Nashen. Uh, Mina Nashen's husband is Kevin Nashen, and they have uh, the Sydney Street Cafe. Oh, wow. And and I've talked to Mina, I said, because they've got the recipes. I, I'm able to get the recipes from from some of these restaurateur, old restaurateurs, 
I can't get the golden fried chicken loaf recipe from Minus Mother. And, I, and why is that? I mean, your, your love for this place is so sincere. I'm not sure, but I'm going to still work on it. But I, I told Mina, hey, you know, let's, let's open up Golden Fried Chicken Loaf again and we can do it. But uh, she hasn't bit yet. That's interesting. So they don't want to give up the recipe. Do you think it's because they have thought about maybe trying to reopen this themselves? Perhaps. And if that's the case, go for it because I'll be there. <laughs> so when we talk about these lost dishes and, and trying to get the recipes for them, I understand your wife commissioned a themed dinner. This was for your, your 70th birthday that this was an entire Lost Dishes theme menu. Yeah, she surprised me for my 70th birthday. There was a, a, a wonderful chef named Scott Phillips who I'd worked with, the Working Woman's Survival Show out in St. Charles. He got the idea to make some Lost Dishes as a demo there, and he had me come and I talked about them. So she contacted him, and uh, he prepared them all, some in advance, some some in the on-site, and it was a dinner with my, my kids and grandkids and my mother, and it was the most fantastic dinner. He, he was spot on in his presentation. And so what were, what were the highlights of this meal? So he started with these Maryland crab cakes from a place called Crazy Fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had these spinach feta strudels from a place called Duff's. Uh, we had, as, as the, our, those were our past appetizers. Then our sit-down, uh, we had portobello mushroom, grilled portobello mushroom and asparagus from Portobello. We had uh, smoked trout pancake from, from Balaban's. Uh, we had uh, the pepperline steak from the Tenderloin Room. We had this papelite of salmon from Cafe de France. And then the pièce de résistance was the dessert. We had the, the Cleopatra from from. Uh, Cyrano's. From Cyrano's. And the Cleopatra, I'm not familiar with this dish. The Cleopatra was the most wonderful dessert ever. So uh, Cyrano's uh, was was on Clayton Road in Des Moines. And it was a coffee house. They had coffees and they had some sandwiches and they had lots of desserts. The Cleopatra was was sort of their, their crowning dessert. It was uh, French vanilla ice cream, uh, Chapman's ice cream at the time. Uh, it had whole strawberries. It had cut up bananas. It had a rum sauce, it had gold brick chocolate on it, and it was all smothered in mountains of, of Peevely, whip, Peevely Dairy whipped cream. And my wife and I would go there when we were dating uh, on a Friday night or a Saturday night, and we'd order these roast beef sandwiches, we'd get the Cleopatra, initially with all the whipped cream, and she would make me take the whipped cream off. Uh, and then eventually we ordered it without the whipped cream, we would never do that today. Today, the whipped cream would be on it. The whipped cream was on. So this was a this was a very personal dessert for you. Absolutely, yes. Well, that is wow. What a wonderful birthday party! And so your wife put all this together. She put it all together. It was phenomenal. That and is amazing. I love that story. I'm going to squeeze in one last call here. Uh, Lori is calling from St. Louis. Uh, Lori, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, my name is Mary. Oh, Mary, thank you so oh, much yeah. for joining us. <laughs> That's okay. Um, good afternoon. I was uh, thinking of two restaurants. One my family owned. It was uh, Three Sisters Cafe. It was originally on Ninth and Howard, and then the highway took that. Ugh, painful. Highway seventy, and then we they moved to uh, nine thirty five North Broadway at um, Tyler, and it was a breakfast, lunch, and dinner place with a bar, hmm. and it serviced all the workers. And from all the factories there. And it was just a family kind of place. So customers would bring their, have their wives and their kids meet them in the evening. And then we went to fried, they cooked fried chicken and steaks. And it was just fun. A lot of good memories. How wonderful to have that yeah. in your family. And you said you had yeah. one more. 
And we have one more. A good friend of ours owned Tradewinds Restaurant in Shoto. It was okay. across. It was across from the Peabody Housing Complex. Okay. And they served the best barbecued ribs, you know, charcoal and fried chicken, and they catered to the late crowd. Hmm. They didn't open until five or six in the evening, but they stayed open till three in the morning. Oh, wow. That's a great memory. And, and thank you for sharing about those two places. You know, speaking of staying open till three in the morning, that reminds me of a tweet we got from Dave, who notes, down on South Grand, we're still morning Mangia. I'm glad that the space is being filled with two great restaurants now, Dave writes. But that was where our kids graduated from kids menu to adult menu, forever our family's place. That's that rare restaurant that straddled the super late night hours with being a great family place. But that idea of our family's place, <clears throat> so many of us feel that way about a restaurant we had nothing to do with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, that's what I said. It's, 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 it's about the food, but it's, it's more about who you went to the restaurant with, be it your you know, girlfriend when you were dating or your, your kids or your parents. And, and it's, it's those memories, I think, that are special to people. And that's why Lost Tables has is, is taken off like it has. So with Mangia, that makes me think of all the restaurants we've lost in just the last couple of years in this time of upheaval. Do you feel like now there's almost more than you can get to? Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, there was just, just uh, Calico's last night just yes. announced that it was closing. Uh, and that's, that's a downtown institution. Yeah, that's been in. It was downtown. It was out in the suburbs. We used to go all the time with our kids. Uh, we, they had a great salad that we ate all the time. So yeah, unfortunately, they're 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 more and more that are coming. I'm working on uh, um, Cusinelli's right now, and they just closed last year. So there's, <laughs> you're going to be busy. Yes. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I do think, you know, you do such a lovely job with these tributes. I feel like for any family that's ever owned a restaurant, it's such a great compliment to have you be the person digging in and, and telling their story. Um, and I'm just so grateful that, that you were willing to join it today. I want to let people know if you're interested, LostTables.com and LostDishes.com, and you can check out all of Dr. Harley Hammerman's work. You can also find that group on Facebook, and you can add to that conversation, which has taken on a life of its own. So, Dr. Harley Hammerman, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. This episode was produced by Laura Hamden with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.